Welcome to the OC Endurance Podcast. My name is Chris, along with my co-hosts, Austin and Tony. How you guys doing? Another great week. Great, man. Yeah. Christmas yeah. week. One more time. I'm, I'm three hours ahead of you guys, so it's uh, early for you and late for me this week. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just got back from doing an indoor track workout on a 200-meter track. I ran uh, about 60 laps on it. So I did seven and a half miles. That sounds uh. terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, uh, it rained the last uh, day and a half. So I got, uh, I did some outdoor running in the cold, but then I uh, decided to try this track out. And I probably should have just did it on the treadmill. Yeah, it was probably the better very, option. That's a lot of loops. Yeah. You might yeah, as well just I was almost getting dizzy. Gonna swim in a 10 meter pool next or what? <laughs> the hot tub. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, we have a guest today, which uh, I am very excited about. So I'm going to throw it over to Tony to introduce uh, our guest since he actually has, has met him in person. Yeah. Go ahead, Tony. Awesome. So yeah, I'm uh, pretty excited to introduce this uh, this week's guest. Um, he's a husband, the father, the photographer, cinematographer, teacher, runner, YouTuber. God, am I missing anything? Uh, oh, a singer. <laughs> Uh, that's a new one, Eric Flobert. So, welcome to the uh, to the pod here, Eric. What's up, guys? Yeah, yeah welcome, it's really Eric. exciting to be here. Stoked to have a combo with you. Yeah. Did, did I miss anything there? <laughs> uh, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's all. Singer. I don't. I don't yeah. know the singer one. Yeah. I didn't is know that. that is that a new YouTube video that I missed? I every, like once every three years, I'll uh, I'll just get bored and like make a. A cover song. It's, singing was my first thing. Like as a kid, I was in uh, kids' choir, and then I was like the theater kid in high school. So, right. yeah. do you play an instrument when singing? Yeah, I could play guitar. Yeah, yeah. nice. Not great, I, but yeah. I've attempted to learn guitar many, many times, and then my fingers get sore, and I give up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the time, I come back again. My fingers, are, you know, I got to go through the whole learning process again of sore fingers. Well, I've been going through an existential crisis of like wanting to learn piano and just there's no time to learn piano like <laughs> with four children and a multifaceted career. So um, one can dream, you know. Yeah, exactly. That'd be, yeah. yeah, it'd be sick to learn piano, be able to walk into a mall or something. You see those Instagram videos and just start ripping on that. Be so fun. That Dinner or, parties, just like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a dream. <laughs> I'm just exactly. over there playing four chords like an idiot, like fumbling through it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, you just came off CIM, right? I think you just loaded a video up on that. I did. Yeah. It was, it was not a peak race. Like, I didn't really prep very well for it. It was mostly just for fun, getting to meet a whole lot of internet friends and then rekindle uh, friendships from, you know, years past as well. So... It was yeah. really cool. Very fun experience. Well, we got a whole bunch of questions. But before we do that, just to yeah. introduce, for those of you who don't know, a lot of our audience, we have, it's an endurance show, but we have a lot of triathletes. So uh, yeah. I'm not sure how many hardcore runner uh, people we have, uh, but you know, everybody runs. But Eric has a YouTube channel, which has, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, somewhat kind of blown up um, over the last year or so. What would you say, mm -hmm. Eric? Yeah. Yeah. I started posting on it again in the fall of last year 22 yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I know you have your other YouTube channel, right, from mm -hmm. the kind of your video side, but um, it's been really neat. I do YouTube videos, but have not had the uh, growth spike that you've had. I think it's taken me like three years or more to get to tw uh, almost 12,000 followers, and you mm -hmm. just like shot off. So I decided to abandon triathlon and go to running to see if I can get my YouTube career to take <laughs> off like yours did because apparently there aren't enough uh, triathlon YouTubers to support my <laughs> 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 Or my videos aren't as good. It could just be that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh YouTube's a fun game. It is uh it's interesting that I I feel it feels like going into this space, I have a, just a complete and total unfair advantage in growing this since I've already done it for five years. So like, I don't know. I've heard it, I heard it recently and I was just on another podcast talking about the concept of unfair advantage in, in, in life and business and entrepreneurship. It's like, if you're able to recognize what your unfair advantages are, what you are um, predisposed to or good at and can throw gas on that fire, like that's really when things can explode. And so I'd been following running YouTube for quite a while. And it was really the only YouTube videos I was watching at that point, even though my initial channel um, and the photo filmmaking world um, was my focus at that point. I wasn't watching anything in that niche. I was only excited. watching uh, Peter and Maddie. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> time to, yeah. Time to time. But eventually all of us are just saying the same thing over and over. So it's like, right. eh, you know, and like I've even those two and the people like that, I've, I've gotten to, you know, finally meet them, whether it be digital or in person. And it's not that like I'm at the end of the road in that career, but it feels, it feels very well established and not like I, I need to grow it at all anymore. So on that side of my career, I'm kind of like, eh, it's, it's fun. Let's just, kind of keep it going as I see fit and not feel like the incessant need to constantly be posting on that channel and whatnot. So, yeah, no, I get that. I mean, I have a full-time career, right. And a job, something I've been doing for, you know, I've been there 26 years. YouTube is kind of the fun, creative outlet that, you know, you have total control of. You don't need to take anyone's input. Um, yep. you know, even though there's plenty of comments about what you should be doing and changing and how you should be training and <laughs> <laughs> all of that. Um, but you know, in general, it, it's, it's yours 100% uh, to play around with and be creative with. So, yeah, I think that's the, the joy of it. And that's really what I wanted to do with the running channel was like, take my creative voice, bring it into a niche where there's not as much like, um, there's, there's not as much, uh, intentional artistry in the, in the capacity that you see in the photo filmmaking for side sure, of YouTube. For sure, for sure. And so to bring that, those skills into this space has obviously resonated with people and it, it's been really fascinating to see the intersection of athleticism, how many people love the sport of running and filmmaking. It's really weird how much intersection there is there. Um, and I think it, it really has to do with how existential our sport can be sometimes where you're just out there for hours in your thoughts. Um, you know, I think stories are incredibly compelling to runners for those reasons, you know, because we have a lot of time to think. And so when you're able to express profound stories beautifully. Um, I think it really resonates with that crowd. 
Yeah, and I think the other thing, uh, my opinion of you know your videos, which is something I've tried to do, is be transparent, just very real with your thoughts, right? It's not uh, overacted or big and grand in, in the way you yeah. try and present. You tell a story. It, it's it's who you are. So when you turn the camera on, it it you get who exactly who you are, right? And people mm -hmm. meet you and that, you know, that's always been my goal. People meet you and they're like, oh, you're just like who you are on your videos. Yeah. So I think that that comes through um, really well in your videos. Appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, to me, that's the biggest compliment um, is that anybody, when anybody meets me in real life and they're just, they're just like, oh yeah, you're exactly the same or like, oh, you're just a normal person. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I think, the internet can really expose uh, someone in, a, in the way of like a lot of viewers, majority of viewers can tell if you're faking it. And it's just that sixth sense that people have when watching stuff online. And so to me, there's no benefit in trying to fake it. And I've come to realize that in growing an online audience, like the viewers need to be able to trust you. And so how do you earn their trust? You share the poop story. Like you do, you do that stuff. Like you just, you just let it, you just let it be. And you engage with the things that might be embarrassing or might be, um, you know, like the, the things that you do incorrectly, just being like, yeah, I, right. I don't know. Yeah. And even just being humble enough to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you guys tell me? <laughs> like, right. Right. Yeah. Well, and your failures, right. You're, you're showing your, your, um, successes and failures. Right. I mean, I've, I've had plenty of failures throughout making videos, right? And people identify with that, I think. So it's not all yeah. just successes and, and, and happy videos. And there, there's, right. there's bad runs and there's bad workouts and there's, you know, bad races. And, you know, you know, you telling the story about how much issue, how many issues you've had with your digestive system and, and dealing with that. Right. And I've always been very lucky. I pretty much have like an iron stomach. You know, I, I might mm. get some cramps here and there a little bit, but for the most part, I, I've never had digestive issues. So when I, when I hear your stories about it, it, I can't even imagine, you know, I can't imagine throwing up and then continuing to run <laughs> like you've run and then throwing up. It's just like, oh my God, if I throw up, I'm laying down. My race is over. I've never thrown yeah. up in a race. <laughs> Either I'm not running hard enough or, <laughs> which that might be the case, but yeah, I'm always yeah. amazed at, at how hard that has been for you to, yeah, not, not how amazed, how hard, but amazed at your ability no. to push through it and, and, yeah. and deal with it. Yeah. I mean, it was even when I, I ran in middle school and it was the same thing. Like after a mile race, I would, I would puke my guts out and it was, I don't know. I just always assumed it was a part of running. So, um, <laughs> and like, I know other people have that story too. And that like, they, they puke either during or after. And so I just always took it as like, Oh, well I pushed myself to limit. Great. You know? Um, and then I realized like how detrimental it really was in marathoning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, right. Yeah. You hear it all the time. People that are running, um, sprints, right. And yeah. I felt that way sprinting in the pool before. Um, but not, um, you know, not just from a digestive standpoint of my stomach, you know, hurts so much or, you know, getting nauseous from taking something in. Like when you talk about putting a gel in and immediately you have that reflex to just want to throw it up. It's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I can't imagine having to deal with that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was always the kid who like gagged at the dinner table too. Like, and I was such a picky eater as a kid. So like mashed potatoes, I mean, I love them now, but as a kid, like 
same thing as soon as I put it in my mouth. It was like, <laughs> and, and my parents always laughed at me for doing it, but like it's translated into the running as well. It's like I, and it happens to me. It's just my disposition. Like I don't, my predisposition and race morning. If I'm brushing my teeth, it always happens on race morning when the nerves are high. I'm brushing my teeth and I brush my tongue. It's just like, I can't, I don't know what it is. It's nerves, it's excitement, it's whatever. And, uh, and so I think that plays out sometimes in the races and there's kind of just nothing I can do about it. Thankfully, like my last, I think all of my, yeah, all of my races this year in the marathon, I didn't throw up during or after, which is really interesting to think about. Um, I did throw up at the end of my half marathon, but yeah, nothing in the race. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it's interesting you, on the body. You, you did mention uh, running in in middle school real quick. So yeah. you touched on that. So, so let's start yeah, at, at at the beginning, right? So um, yeah, give us a little bit of, of background. When you learn to walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do you currently live? Uh, did you grow up? Uh, you know, playing sports? Any ball sports? How'd you how'd you get into running? I, I so I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, northwest suburbs. And, uh, I went to down to school in central Illinois for college and then we moved back up to the city. So I've just always been in Chicago, in Illinois and growing up, I, I definitely was like the baseball kid. I loved, was obsessed with baseball. Um, but I, I tried virtually every sport, uh, before, before junior high, it was pretty much exclusively baseball. And then in, in sixth grade, it was, you know, fifth, sixth grade, we started doing the mile in gym class. And so, uh, I, I was the kid coming in first. And so I was like, Oh, maybe I guess I'm decent at running. And so, and then they, they posted the mile time in the hallway for each grade. So I, it was always my goal to like have my name up there all year. And so I think that kind of laid a foundation of, okay, I, I want to always be competitive in, in the running sphere, but Going into middle school, tried my hand at basketball, was okay at that. I tried wrestling, was okay at that. Um, and then high school, did football, uh, hated the amount of time and energy uh, put into that. Uh, I was able to start on the football team, but never got back into running. In middle school, I ran cross country and track. And I was... I was the fastest runner on the team, but I could not handle the pressure of being the fastest on the team. And I mean, I, I, I handled it. I, I was able to win, but I just didn't want to do it in high school because of the pressure. Cause we go into every meet and everyone's trying to psych me up. Like you ready for, you ready to get first today? And I'm just like, <laughs> I wanted to puke, you know, I, I, the nerves and yeah, I hated that pressure. pressure. And I learned in that, like, it's really good bonding I had with my dad and learning how to race. That's where I learned how to sit and kick. And because I got burned a few times where I would lead and then get swallowed up in the last 200 meters of a cross country race or a mile race. And so I have a distinct memory, eighth grade, 800 meter uh, race. It was two days of conference. The first day I ran the 800, the second day I ran the mile. And I led the 800 and got swallowed up in the last, you know, 50 meters. And I remember sitting in the car pissed off and my dad was just like, you didn't race smart today. And I was like, yeah, I know. He's like, so what are you going to do tomorrow? I'm like, sit and kick. And he's like, yep. Like use the guys in the front as wind blockers and just sit with them and burn them in the last 200. 
And so there's like this infamous video in my family where my dad was filming on a camcorder. I actually made a short film about this on my, my main channel where I recall this footage, but he gets so excited because the plan went, went according to plan. And I, I sat and kicked in the last 200 and he like lost his mind and the camera like went up to the sky and was just <laughs> screaming at the top of his lungs. So there's like really, really fun memories uh, with that. And now I'm like, I'm starting to have some of my own, build some of my own memories and stories with my kids like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they're starting to run. But uh, yeah, like the high school, so our, our high school cross country team at Palatine was one of the best in the state every year, top three. And the coaches were at that district meet and they're just like, all right, you coming out for cross country. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like I cannot, I wanted to play football. My dad played football. I loved football too. So I tried that and just never got into the running space in, in high school. So I even did gymnastics in high school. I, that was the only sport I did for years. And I had a blast with that. We won a state championship and I loved vault and, um, that included sprinting, but yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't get it. I didn't do any sports in college. I ran every once in a while. Um, I remember the summer after my freshman year was the first time I ever tried running 10 miles and thought it was really cool. Um, just kind of dabbled in it. And mm-hmm. I think some of those runs made me think that uh, there were, it kind of, I think it planted the seed that a, a bucket list item for me was to run a marathon someday. And so I never ran anything competitively. I never tried a 5k, never tried a 10k. Um, even a half marathon, I just jumped to the marathon in 2017 and just went for it and got absolutely wrecked but uh i guess that's the the long of long story of my athletic career i think i always had sort of a predisposition to be the athletic one like i made the baseball all-star team i was able to get the fastest time so i think i you know i it plays well into the marathon story because a lot of times whenever i tried a new sport i was able to either make the team uh finish in the top three whatever the case was and then I went to the marathon and had the same kind of attitude and got my ass handed to me. (laughs) Just, you know, like I, I went through in my first marathon in 2017, of course I wanted to run a sub three because I had heard about that being a crowning achievement. And so I went through half and 135, already well off pace and then just got absolutely destroyed in the second half and ended in 350. So um, it had been, you know, three to four years of me learning the hard way, uh, of how to actually do that distance, but I fell in love with it in the process. In 2017, leading into that, um, race, how long did you, that was Chicago, right? 2017. Yeah. yeah yep. How long did you train for that? So if you kind of quit running at the end of junior high per se, right. And mm-hmm. I don't know how old you were, or if you were probably 13 or 14 around that age, probably at that point, maybe 14 mm-hmm. years old. Um, what what age were you in 2017? 17, I would have been uh, 26, 27. Yeah. Okay. So it's more than a decade of not really running seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, coming back. But you did have it, which is interesting to find because I never ran growing up, right? I was a mm-hmm. swimmer. So I would swim a mile before running a mile any day of the week. And um, so I've had to work really hard, I feel like, to learn to run, um, Mm -hmm. to even get to where I'm at. And, uh, I was curious and, you know, and seeing your videos, what your background was and it, you know, there was some predisposition to, to being a runner when you were little, right. And running when you were young. And I think that's the same for swimming. You can run, you can swim when you're really young and be a decent swimmer and then pick it up as an adult and be a 
a decent swimmer again. Right. It's so hard to learn to swim as an adult if you've never put that foundation in. Yeah. Yeah. A lot like language. And I'm, I'm noticing my kids, my two oldest are, have have it as well. Um, my nine year old just ran a, like a, a 23 minute 5k. So I was like, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> I paced him to that. He won his school 5k. And so, nice. and he's the like, one who did the mile, the seven minute mile or whatever recently in one of your videos. Yep. Yeah. 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 Son. So he, yeah. he just goes out and runs on his own. Like he'll, he'll, I gave him my old watch and he'll just run around our neighborhood and he like, he wants it. So, but he's doing all sorts of stuff. He's, he's in the testing phase. Like we, his, my parents got him a Poco stick and now he's going for like what we assume to be the world record on the internet. Like he's trying to go for 20,000 jumps and he's gotten 17,000, which is insane. Um, but he needs to, yeah, you're going to have to video that. Yeah. Yeah. We have been. And it's like, it takes him two and a half, three hours, which is wild, but I want to keep feeding those, you know, the intrinsic motivation in whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be running. Um, it obviously makes me excited and happy that it's running in some capacity. Uh, I'm really excited for the days when I'm on my decline and they're on their incline and we meet somewhere in the middle and we can be competitive with each other. Yeah. I think there's going to be like a, almost like a two to three year gap in the half marathon marathon distance where that's going to happen, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think I picked that up from my dad as well. Like I told him I didn't want to do baseball in high school and he was super supportive of that. He's like, I think you'd be a really valuable asset to the team, but I'm not going to like force you to do it if you don't want to. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to do the same thing with my kids. And, um, while I know that I would have really benefited from somebody being like, Hey, this is how you run the marathon. I think I, I personally really benefit from learning the hard way in a lot of things in my life. I, I think it, it motivates me to want to be better in a, in a completely different way. Whereas I think if someone was just preaching at me how to do it, I wouldn't find any kind of intrinsic motivation to, to want to. And you probably appreciate the journey when you finally get there much more. Yeah. 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 And it's awesome that you're, you know, to see a child willing to do something like that, that's not a video game for more than two hours. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that is a lot of motivation. I have two girls and they play soccer and volleyball and, um, I, I wish one of them wanted to run, um, mm-hmm. but they're not there yet. They're not interested yeah. in, in that like singular effort, right. You know, for mm-hmm. that long. Um, so that, that's pretty cool to see yeah. or to hear. It's super fun. Yeah. yeah and our, our, uh, our six year old also dropped a, a 30 minute 5k. We did a turkey trot all together. It was just like crazy 300 feet of elevation course for a 5k, which was so stupid, <laughs> but it was in, in like Kansas city and, uh, they got first and third in their age group. So it was just like a really, really fun day. They got medals for that. And again, that compounding idea of just like, well, yeah, if you, if you exert the amount of effort that you're, you're capable of doing, like they're like you, you are celebrated for, for these efforts. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to keep racing with them. They keep, they keep hounding me about running a marathon. I'm like, <sighs> but I see like my friends at uh, All Heart. They have a YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. Like Evan and Cole, teenagers crushing the marathon distance. And I'm like, yeah, they're. I don't know. They're wild, wild. man. Uh, yeah. She she's 11 and she ran. I think she ran 130. 
one at Long Beach Half Marathon or something like that. It's, it's insane. Yeah, but that's cool. I saw them in your video too. I, I, I'm connected yeah. with them a little bit and we chat here and there and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's a really cool family and seems like yeah. a great dad. And man, yeah, he's going to come on the podcast. We've, we've talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Start to listen to that one. Yeah. All right. So you and didn't you run just, in, uh, in, in college. Um, had you had the, the photography and cinematography come into play? Like when did that start? Uh, seventh grade, a Spanish class. We had a video assignment and I always played with a camcorder up until that point. But this was like the definitive moment where I got partnered in a group with a friend who knew and had Windows Movie Maker. So we spent an entire weekend filming uh, the telephone man. It was a Batman spoof and with our like Spanish vocab list. <laughs> and, and, uh, it was just this goofy video that was honestly pretty funny. Um, he ended up being like one of the smartest kids in our, in our class, uh, in our grade. And we were so excited about this project. We came back to class and presented first and everyone else in the class, um, refused to present their project. Uh, because they were embarrassed by the quality of ours. <laughs> and so our, our teacher handed everyone else a B and didn't let them and didn't have them present. And so again, similarly, that lit a fire in me, like every year I wanted to turn any project I could into a video project because I learned how to use Movie Maker on my home computer, eventually iMovie on, you know, MacBook that I got. And, and so I would always try to use that kind of unfair advantage to gain the attention of my teacher. It like didn't even need to be that good of a project as long as I put in the effort in a video. It was like easy, eh? And then I got to make the class laugh in a you know in a really fun way. And I was always so excited to present those videos. So was constantly making those throughout junior high, high school, into college, dumb, dumb videos, put on Facebook, share with friends, and then it just turned into a career. Like friends, I kept increasing the quality and friend from high school, her, her sister was getting married and she's just like, she needs someone to film it. And I was like, okay, 300 bucks. And they hired me, shot my first wedding with a friend with more experience. And it was just off to the races, like post that stuff on Facebook, uh, friends getting engaged. Oh, sure. I'll shoot the surprise proposal. Let's do some family portraits, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Throw it all up on Facebook, get an easy, you know, simple site. And I, you know, I was a young Christian college kid, all the kid, all the, uh, all of them were getting married. So like I had a, a base of people to constantly shoot weddings that were looking for a, a cheap wedding photographer. So build a portfolio really quickly. And, um, yeah, it's, I, it just happened so much faster than I thought it would. I went to school to be a special ed teacher, which I ended up doing. Um, I taught at the junior high that I went to where I, I ran. And, and it had ended that project, uh, in Spanish class and I coached there, coached basketball, but I only did that for, for three years and the business just exploded in that time. From the beginning of, of being a teacher, I thought it would be like a 10 year path of me switching to full-time with my business, but I really should have, I really should have cut ties after two years. I had a, a full ride scholarship in the state of Illinois with special ed I taught in the first two years after graduating. Um, I'd be fully reimbursed all my tuition. So, uh, I ended up doing three years cause we had our first kid wanted one more year of health insurance. And then that was like the busiest year of my life. I, I shot over 25 weddings that year, taught full time coach basketball. It was psychotic. 
And so once I, once I got the ability to, to have more free time to pour all the gas on the fire of my business back in, it was summer of 2016 mm-hmm. when I finally went full, full time. That's when I started to toy with the idea of starting a YouTube channel and then quickly uh, started doing that towards the end of 2017. Um, because again, all that unfair advantage of just making goofy videos, uh, having the, uh, the teaching degree, like I'm a formally educated teacher and know how to put lessons, plan, lesson plans together and how to do hooks and all that stuff. Uh, and then being the theater kid as well, it just kind of like all came together and I was like, yeah, this makes sense. And so found a lot of success in, in teaching in the photo video space. And that, uh, I don't know what the original question was. But, yeah. <laughs> so now at this point, um, is more of your business, or uh, let me ask this first. Uh, if you had to pick one passion, photography or, or, or video? Recently, it's been more video. Uh, I haven't been doing as much. I just haven't been doing as much photography in general. Even on the personal side, I shoot a lot of film for my personal life. And I maybe shot... 30 or 40 rolls of film last year. Whereas in years past, it was hundreds. So, um, but that's just be- because of all the, the video creation I have been doing. And I've always known that, that I'm, I'm always leaning and bent towards appealing to people's emotions and the medium of filmmaking. It's just a lot easier to do that than still photography, still imagery. And it, it doesn't discredit my desire to be a photographer or a good one at that. It, you know, I'm motivated in my filmmaking to make compelling imagery. Um, but I've just really enjoyed connecting with people, um, really across the world, um, with, with different facets of whether it be photography, filmmaking, education, short films that appeal to emotion, tell like real heartfelt, uh, emotions and feelings that I'm dealing with as a father, as a husband, as a creative person, or my, my running career, if you will. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've felt compelled to do. I shot a documentary with my friends in the studio all of the past two years. Um, the subject being Joe Greer, a, a photographer, a really well-known photographer and now runner. And that's going to be coming out in 2024, which is really exciting. Um, but Steven and I, my, my right hand man and a lot of stuff I do here, uh, we we DP'd our first feature film this fall as well, an indie film for our friend. So we've just really been exploring a lot of those things. Um, but I'm quickly coming to realize like how difficult it is to step into those new frontiers of filmmaking and commercial photography while training hard. So yeah, my my main channel is taking a backseat this year for sure. Like the second half of this year, I barely posted at all, just because it felt like it 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 mattered more to build the running thing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the balance of one, one thing really pays the bills. Right. But then there's (laughs) the passion and wanting to, to grow something else. Um, and then the documentaries in the background, you're, you're spending a lot of time working on those. Right. And the, Mm. I I would imagine the payoff on those doesn't come for a while. Right. I mean, you're waiting (laughs) and waiting. I was curious about the, the, uh, the running documentary you're, you're doing and when that was going to come out, how are you, how is that being distributed? So we've, we've gone back and forth so many times about what we wanted to do with that because it's, we're sitting on like a 95, 98% done thing right now. It's at about an hour and 15 and it's incredibly compelling and super exciting and beautiful. And, uh, 
you know, we've been going back and forth with Joe's manager too and figuring out like, okay, is, does it make sense for us to submit to festivals? Um, we, we set a hard deadline for ourselves at the end of July to try to submit to Sundance, but it was just not in a place where we felt comfortable submitting it there. And even then I was like, I, I really don't know if it has the legs to, to make it on a stage like that. And so we've really just come to the conclusion that we want to distribute it on our own. And, um, it's more so just like, just for the sake of all of us to like move on to the next thing in our lives. Cause <laughs> this has been an over two year process, um, to get this thing off the ground. And yeah, we just, we, we just want to share it with everyone more than anything. So we're hoping to, uh, the first few introductions to the public be a, a sort of premiere private screening in major cities. And so that's the goal at first, try to get in-person viewings. Obviously you all know like the difference between watching a race video versus being in a physical race with people and, and it's just so different. And so very much the same in um, the photo and filmmaking space, whether it be workshops or a premiere like this, we know that this, the superficial guise of this film is, is will Joe run under two hours and 40 minutes in the marathon? And we explore the depths of his past and childhood trauma and just like crazy deep, profound emotional places. And so we know that it's going to really affect a lot of people watching it if they have some of the same experience in their life. And so to have a Q and A and to have moments after the film where people can connect with, with us in the process of making this and Joe as a person, as a runner, and now as a father, um, there's, yeah, there's just a whole lot that we want to do with that. And we're more excited about sharing that story more than anything. I've completely like, I've, I self-funded the project and I'm, I've relinquished all feelings and hopes of like, making all the money back. I'm just like, I just want this thing to exist in the world. And like, we worked really hard on it. It's really good. And if that happens, great. If we make money on it, great. If we don't, it's fine. Like the business is diversified enough to take risks like this and tell compelling stories. I can't imagine sitting on a project that you've been developing for that long and then have it ready and then be waiting. I mean, I make, I make a 15 minute YouTube video and it's supposed to be for Thursday and it's Tuesday. And I'm like, ah, fuck it. It's going up right now. I'm the same. I'm the same. Same thing. I can't wait. I've been, I've been trying to be so disciplined because my year recap video for running, I'm planning on posting on new year's Eve. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be done by like middle of next week. And it's going to be so hard for me to sit on that thing. You might see me publish it that week. I might. <laughs> but like this is across of all of my YouTube work. I think this video is the longest I've ever taken it from concept to finished product. Because I know it's going to be really special. And so, you know, I've been filming across multiple days. I've been doing outlines and scripting and voiceover and like all this stuff. But I know the impact that that kind of video can have. Everything I've made in that realm of quality on the running channel has exploded, Mm -hmm. has done way more views than like just a a normal, you know, training series video does um, because it, it, you know, it's, it connects with a wider audience. um, It pulls more people in. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a compelling story across the, you know, if you zoom out on my running life. And so in the same way with the documentary, I know the impact that it has with, because people aren't, you know, a lot of times filmmaking in, in 2023, 2024 
is all vertical in 15 seconds most of the time. And so to be doing something like this, that's so antithetical to what everyone else is pouring all their time and energy into right now, I think has the, gives the, the chance of just crazy, wild, fun, exciting things to happen, whether on like the really deep, profound, real human side, or even on the business side as well. The connections we've made with the filmmaking world, like we just, we previewed the documentary to a room full of YouTubers, Maddie being one of them, like a month or two ago and was just like, I never thought I'd be in a room with people like this. Um, and then giving us advice on final revisions and stuff. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. Just, just moments like that where you're like, okay, yeah, well, at least taking this step of discomfort and taking a stab in the dark has led us to a moment of now I, I know this person and that person. Um, and that was never really the, the goal, but it ended up being an outcome, which was really cool. And it, it's really fun to see all the ties in, in training and all the metaphors because you pour all that time and energy. It's, it's a direct metaphor to the marathon, right? It's like you spend weeks and months for this one moment. And yeah, it might not, you know, there might be something completely out of your control. If the weather's off or whatever, you are nauseous or just had the flu that week or you just never know. And so, but you'll never find out unless you spend the time to train. And if you, if the variables line up on that day, yeah, magic might happen. And then you're left with a result and a feeling um, that was worth the fight, you know? So once you go and, and do these screenings, do you now foresee this living on YouTube and, and trying to, again, create that same fire and, and blowing up the way other long do- documentaries have for you? I think uh, what we want to do with with the doc is do the, the in-person screenings. And then um, an idea we have is to do like an international premiere that's online for like 24 hours. So it would go live. And the only way to view it is live in that moment um, for the entirety of the film. So we would sell virtual tickets to that and then have a virtual Q&A. And then anyone where, you know, on the other side of the world where that premiere is like three in the morning, they can then view it for the next 24 hours and still engage with it in a meaningful way. Um, but then from there, we don't know exactly where it will live, but it'll probably be some sort of pay-per-view for some amount of time. And I think eventually we'd want it to just live on the internet for free. Um, because we hope to sell other things alongside it, whether it be merch or digital assets or all sorts of other things to try to recoup um, the money spent on it. Um, but it's always evolving and changing based on how we're feeling in the time frame we're at. So it could be entirely different based off of that rough outline now. And so I think the biggest thing now is like, we're, we're just doing our best not to promise anything until things are set in stone. And we have, you know, a theater actually rented and like, okay, these are the dates, you know? Um, cause yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to make people think it's going to be one thing and then have to pivot. Like we've had to do so many times from the nature of, of life and how documentaries work. Yeah. Yeah. Now something like Amazon, it it seems at least from my perspective and I haven't done a lot of research on it, something like Amazon seems to have a lot more documentaries on it than Mm -hmm. like a Netflix is right. Amazon, uh, something that not for this particular project, but something you've looked at or considered for a documentary. Yeah, so a lot of the streaming services want you to do the the festival 
pipeline where you you're submitting to a lot of festivals and premiering in those places and then executives are going to those and you're making the connections and you're playing you're playing the game and that's what we've come to realize we we don't really have any interest in playing that game to try to get on those platforms if it ends up happening through our route of the in-person premieres like there's people in the room that have connections that want to get in front of those eyes that's probably that's why we will label them as as private screenings because that gives you the ability to then be like okay um there was a private screening so we can premiere at your festival or we can premiere in this place and we followed followed your rules so we're kind of going off our friend danny gibberts who did that with his film his feature film i think i'm sick and um yeah he did a bunch of private screenings in in major cities and now he's getting into festivals and winning awards and, and that so now their next step is, you know, how do we distribute? Are we going to get purchased and go yeah. to streaming or are we going to do self-distribution? Been interesting to follow his journey creating mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. We just did a podcast with him, which was super fun, um, which we filmed back in May, but just released yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I promise to get this out before then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chris is notorious. Yeah, it's, weird. it's weird to like, it's weird to be in both in in like three different worlds all at once. Like um, now when I'm meeting people at races or, you know, events and they come up to me and they're like, oh, I love your work. I have to awkwardly just be like, what part am I? <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, which thing you're watching, right? Yeah. yeah. How is that? Um, you know, because I get made fun of and I'm like nobody on YouTube, uh, you know, go to an Ironman and people want to take photos or whatever. I mean, you're at a whole different level. I mean, is it? I always still find it kind of awkward. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, you, you, they know so much about you, right? Yeah. Um, and, and you know nothing about them. So, you know, what, mm-hmm. what is that like for you? I mean, at that scale, showing up at something like CIM or even Chicago, probably more so, um, you know, to, yeah. to have people coming up. It's really flattering. I think there's always been a part of me, like as a kid, you know, my senior superlative was like most likely to become famous. And so I've always kind of had those feelings um, of what would a life like that be like? And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to entertain the idea that I'm any kind of celebrity. Like I've, I'm, uh, if, if you're going to do that, I'm like E-list, if you will, you know, like <laughs> it's been kind of mind blowing to go to races and have as many people like, surround me and want to talk uh much more than the photography filmmaking world because that's what what's so special about the running world is like you have these concrete pinnacle events where like everyone shows up and it's so saturated in that niche there's not you don't have that very often in the photo filmmaking world unless you're doing some sort of meetup where you're expecting people to come and and say hey or come to the event or they bought tickets to to come say hi and meet you. Um, so to be in a space where, you know, I'm in Sacramento or I'm in Chicago and I'm at the expo or whatever, and people are just stopping me and being like, Hey, I, it's, it's really exciting and really fun. And I, I try to, I try to give back as much as they're giving me. So I, I just try to read the temperature of it. You know, if, if they're like, I've like my whole running life has changed because blah, blah, blah. Then I want to engage in that conversation and be really intentional. If I can tell they're like, Oh, I found you the other week. I love your stuff. I'm like, thanks so much. Nice to meet you. You know, 
Um, and so it's, it's really trying to read that temperature and see like how invested are they in it? Because if they're saying things like catchphrases that I've come up with, like back at me and I'm like, Oh, okay. So you like, you know, like you, you've been in it and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, I even watched your virtual race that you posted back in 2020, you know, I'm like, okay, wow. You've been around for a while. Like I want to, I want to engage with you much more. And cause I know what that feeling is like. I've been following Kofuzi for years and Seth James Damore and I've had interactions with them that have, are like, you know, core memory moments for me. You know, mm-hmm. I saw Seth after uh, 2021 New York City Marathon and he's, he put me in his video and he's like chanting my name with all of my friends surrounding him. We just happened to run into him on the street, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, meeting Michael now, it's so interesting because we, we were in races together, like in 2018, 2019, we I knew I was around him. He didn't know who I was at, at that point. And, you know, I'm even in, in race 2019, we have footage from that year. I was wanting, I was wanting to make a video that just never was made, but there's footage of us like running side by side. And I, I actually put it as an Easter egg in the documentary, which is really fun. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to now come full circle where we have a relationship and, you know, talk pretty frequently and, I want that as well for other people who are really interested in this space too. Cause you just never know, like it's so interesting how you can, you know, you get a, an influx of DMS on somewhere like Instagram. And since there's so many of them, so often there might be someone that you like really want to connect with, but you just kind of give the response of like, Oh yeah, thanks for watching. And then two years from now, they're like, they've built this empire. And you're like, that's the conversation we had. Like, Oh my goodness. All I said was like, Hey, thanks for watching, you know? And, and so, yeah, there's, I want to give everybody, you know, the time and energy, not, not that I'm like only seeking out relationships for the sake of, of business and connection, connecting with Titans of the empire or whatever. But like even someone like MK from all heart, like they're, you know, in comparison, their channel is much smaller, but they're like, they're showing up every day and putting mm-hmm. in the work and grinding and it's growing. And I love, I love those kinds of relationships, like seeing them at CIM. I got so excited when they came up after the shakeout, um, like finally meeting them in person. Um, so yeah, it's a long winded answer, but I, I really care about the human element of all of it. I don't want to just be shouting into the void. I really care about relationships and I'm always trying to make those connections. And I don't know if I'm just, Bless my God. And that like people just end up around me like Tony and I at the start of Chicago, we're just side by side. And I'm like, wait, you pace, you pace Mike in Boston. I was like, wait, what the heck? Yeah. You know, like, that stuff is yeah. just always happening. So. I mean, at once, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, but at some level that it's also, it takes a toll, right? I mean, it, yeah. emotionally and it, the amount of comments you're getting, the amount of messages you're getting, the amount of, you know, when now, I mean, more so for you, you, you go to an expo and the amount of people who want to talk to you and you, there, there's a lot of energy that goes into that. And even I struggle with, I feel like I need to write something back to every comment. Right. And if it's right. just like, uh, thanks for the video, love it. Then it's the same thing. It's like, thanks for watching. Thanks for support. But then you get somebody who has taken the time to write like 500 word comment and all of this. And, and you don't want to just be like, thank you, but (laughs) it takes a lot to also then come back with that amount of energy and that amount of thought and to be doing that over and over and over. Um, I find it, it, 
you know, even at my level, it takes a toll. Yep. Yeah. And you have to kind of pick your battles in that sense. Cause it's just like, I'm not going to commit my entire life to responding to Instagram DMs. <laughs> you know, yeah. Children that need to be raised. And so <laughs> I think what I've come to grips with in like going to therapy a few years back is if people, if people are unable to recognize that my lack of response or the depth of my response, um, isn't personal, it's not on me because they need to have enough self-awareness to realize that I'm human, that I have a, a life and a family, and there are things more important to me than online conversations sometimes. And so I always want to make it apparent that like, if you really want to make a connection with me, find a way to like be at a, a live event and like come to a shakeout run and be a part of the community in a real way. And that's what's so cool about running. It's just like, we have so many opportunities for that kind of stuff to happen. Where you know, photo filmmaking space, it's just, it's very, very rare. And a lot of times it's just people making videos of their desk set up alone in their home office, you know, and it's sure you have internet friends, but like, how often are you really connecting on a meaningful level? And I think it's really cool to have time and space to do that in this world um, in the running world. And, uh, yeah, it, it can be, it can be really overwhelming to, cause I, I, that is my nature is that I want to respond with a lot of heart and intention. And sometimes it's really easy to just send a voice memo back instead of like having to, da, 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 right. da, but just quickly go, like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then it's sent off, you know, and they might respond and you don't respond back. And it's like, okay, well, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I think showing up and saying that too, every once in a while, I'll be like, Hey, I, I, w I would love to respond to all of you in a really meaningful way. It's just not possible for me all the time. But I always say this in the creative world. If you want to get my attention, like put creativity into the way you reach out to me also. Mm -hmm. Like don't just, don't just write me an essay, film yourself. Like do a voice memo at me. If you do a voice memo in my DMs or you send me a video, I'm going to respond probably with the same thing because it's, it's less than 1% of people that actually do that. Well, not now. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're so yeah. massive. We are so massive. In a week from now, they're gonna. You're, you're gonna. Your your voicemail is gonna be full. <laughs> but even I've said this on podcasts, and people still don't do it. Like, so I, I think it's hard because they feel super vulnerable, right? Because for sure, you yourself, you're like, oh, I'm I'm just Eric. Like, it's just me. But from right. the outside perspective, looking in, it's like. Oh, that's Flo Burger runs. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna reach out. It's that's intimidating. intimidating. Yeah, you know. So, I think it is hard, and you're just like, I'm just a regular dude, just like you. You know, there's no, there's yeah. no difference. So, it, it is difficult, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I think in the, in that conversation, like if if they really, really cared to like get a response out of me, then that's what sometimes needs to happen. You know, and if it's that is kind of a litmus test of like, is it that important? You know, like, do, I, great do point. I really need to send the message? Yeah. Um, and I think that's what people end up doing. They're like, okay, maybe I don't, maybe I don't need to say that. Maybe I will wait until I meet him in real life. You know, it's like, great. You know? Yeah. And I will say like it, in person, you, you are who you are. That, that's one thing that I really connected with. Right. Is, uh, yeah, we actually made a connection in, in Boston, um, like slightly, right. As, as, I think you ran by us in, in Boston, I think originally when I was pacing Kafuzi or something, right? Like there was, mm -mm, no, mm -mm. I wasn't there that day. Uh -uh. Ah, 
I swear you were, I swear you were there for some reason. Um, but, but then we met in Chicago, um, mm-hmm. and the start in the starting corrals and that was cool. And then yeah, CIM, like I was like, all right, I, I just need to like connect and just have a full on conversation with this dude. Cause it just seems just so chill and, and someone relatable. So, uh, and it, yeah, just kind of hit it off. So I really appreciate you, you know, again, taking the time again with so many other people around just to chat and have a real conversation. For sure. Well, that's one of those moments where like, yeah, there was a line of people, but like you guys came up and I was like, Oh, I have to, I have to talk to you guys. Like, you know, it's, you know, we've already connected in such a meaningful way. I, I, I'm not going to let that time slip away. And there was a moment there too, where like Co was over my shoulder, but there's a line of people. I wanted to talk to him so badly, but it was like, Oh, another time. And yeah, it's, it's hard. Cause you just, and that's, I've, I've experienced that in, you know, the other side of my career too, where there was a meetup I had in, in, Texas back in March and it was just like this group of people having a conversation with me but then someone else would like interject the conversation and then those people had to just kind of like step away and now I'm talking to this person mm-hmm. I hate that feeling so much I want to give the time and energy to each person but it's just the reality of how much how much time we have and how many people want to talk um but yeah a, a small anecdote I never thought this would be a reality for me we were trying to leave the race at CIM and I was just having a blast post-race, you know, like it was just a fun day for me connecting all, all the people post-race. But, um, my buddy Clark, who I, I stayed with at, um, in Sacramento him and his girlfriend, Jack, we were, we were all together and my buddy Jake, who was filming and we kept getting stopped and we were trying to leave. And I had to like, we had to get out of town. And so by the end of it, I just like, I just like put my hood up and like tied the strings tight. I was just like, let's get out of here. <laughs> like, I have to go. <laughs> and really like, hopped on a scooter and just like be lined out. Well, so I guess that was like the only time I've ever felt like, uh, you know, whoever. You know, well, it, it's an unreal feeling, I'm sure. It's just like, holy yeah. moly. And I, I still recognized yeah. you it was just on the scooter. Like, we needed to leave. On the scooter, though. Remember? <laughs> yes. I, I saw him on the other. I had crossed over the street. Uh, like, there was a subway there, and I was getting picked up by an Uber. And I look over my shoulder, and I see him on the back of a scooter, like, again, hooded up. Like, and I'm like, that's Floberg, man. I'm, and so, like, I ran back across the street because I, they're, they're going to get the red light. I ran back over and just dapped him up real quick and, and uh, gave him a hug yeah. and, and, you know, basically sent him on his yeah. way. But yeah, it, even even then, I was like, nah, that's Floberg. <laughs> 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 oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will say, you know, what's interesting, and in, I think you, you kind of hit on it is, as you do all the filmmaking side and doing things like that, people are in all of, all of your work, but they don't necessarily have that um, connection like they do with running, right? There's like an emotional, we are, we're all going to battle and doing the same thing. We're all putting all the effort in and, and they really connect. I feel like when I watch somebody like, you know, Peter or, or Maddie, right? I'm seeing the things they create and the tips they give, but there's no like this emotional connection that I know exactly what they're going through and what they've gone through where when, when you were on a marathon or you do an Ironman or you, we've all had to take those same steps to get to that point, right? Regardless of whether you're famous or not, you all had to do the work. And I think Mm -hmm. that, that connection and that bond people get through your videos, it's probably just more passionate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The shared experience is, is visceral. It is, it is the the thing we all share and the variable that's at play for all of this. And I think that's what makes the storytelling that much more compelling um, because there are these 
there are these, you know, video to video, there are these small stories of the battle won in that workout or whatever it is, or maybe it's a week long, a video of week long training. And so it's a, an arc of story across that week. And you keep zooming out and it's like, oh, wow, maybe it's just the story of this training block and how that week played into the 12 weeks. Or then you zoom out again and then it's like, wow, this marathon build was such a profound building block in the overall story of cutting down the times or the evolution of it all. And that's what's been so compelling to me coming from the photo video YouTube world is that I, I put an Instagram story up a week or two ago that it was like, everyone be honest with me is photo film YouTube dying. And 30% of, of my followers were like, yes. Um, with some notable big YouTubers in that space also saying yes <laughs> to that. But like 70% of the audience was like, no, it's, it's still alive. And I was getting responses. It was like, because of, of people like you who are putting emotion in it still, because I think it's all too commonplace because the reoccurring comment on that poll was like, it's just the same recycled stuff. All of it is just gear reviews. Like it's, it, there's no heart behind it. All of the things have been taught already. Short form is taking over that whole sentiment. But I feel like in the running world, like no matter, it feels like it, it'll almost never die because people are so invested in these like peak races and events and things that are happening mm -hmm. that like it'll it'll just never like the fire's not gonna die because the passion is there like the audience that's interested in that stuff is doing it alongside you whereas in the, the filmmaking space i think a lot of people are sitting in their basements being like i wish i could be at that level and maybe that's inspiring in some sense maybe that's a way where they're like i want to progress to this someday i think a lot of people are sitting and watching that and just be feeling discouraged being like I'm not going to get there. I, it's going to, it's going to take this much. It's going to blah, 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 blah. But I think in the running world, a lot of people are seeing this and seeing the evolution of say me and my individual story. I mean, like I see so much of myself in that, not to discredit that that's happening in the creative space as well. But I think like there is a component of oversaturation in the creative world. Whereas running is such an individualistic thing. Like you're just going for your own goals and your yeah. own PRs. Um, so there's something and the number of people, them. right? Just when you compare, I mean, the amount of runners and people that oh, come yeah. into running and then go out of running people, you know, you find a lot of people, uh, the marathon, it's like a one-time thing, but they're super passionate about it for that mm -hmm. 12 or six, right? And so you've kind of got this influx constantly of new people coming in as well as what, you know, is what I find. Yeah. So, totally. it, it, and I think it, there's, there, there are people that are lasting too. Like I, I just watched another CIM vlog, uh, yesterday while I was on the treadmill and it was a guy going for a three, 305 and he was with a 305 group at CIM and he's just like, there are so many people running with me right now. He's like 12 years ago, this would have been very thin. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is wild to experience how many people are running with me by mile five at this pace. Like it's becoming more competitive. It's becoming more exciting. Uh, it's becoming more crowded. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's happening. And so I think a lot of people are showing up and like putting in the years of work to, I mean, that's a clear manifestation of that happening, right? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Boston time's going down and qualifying time's going down. Yeah. yeah you know what's crazy too? Well, kind of like what, I kind of got my Oh, real quick, like, like Chris, what you were talking about, um, how you were so invested in our races and, and sharing these stories in triathlon we're 
we're very much connected to the the pros and and not so much uh, the sub elites, but we follow the pros story so much. And in running, it's not that way. We don't really follow any pro stories, but we're connected to these sub elites, mm. right? Where again, like a Floberg, yeah. like a Kafuzi, like belief in the run, like watching Megan Murray trying to you know go for the OTQ. We're also connected to these sub elites, and it's it's funny how it's so different in the two sports. Like we're so connected to triathlon or Ironman pros, and again, the, the sub elites don't get so much attention and in running, there's so much passion towards people that are so much more relatable because we just can't see ourselves sprinting at, you know, 420 a mile for, for a marathon. Yeah. It's so unrelatable. It's just like, okay, yeah, that's, that's so far fetched. And, and also right. the, there's such, again, that human element of these are real people that you can meet and talk to and, and you see their training and you see their every, everyday ups and downs. And I think that's what's so important. Well, it's also what the tri- triathlon world, that there's, their training is being documented so much more than the elite running world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, now you're starting to see, like, Molly Seidel um, is starting, you know, a channel and, um, like, Rory and people at that level are starting to come into the fold. So I'm interested to see if they, because, you know, there's, I'm interested to see how it it plays out, but I think there is always going to be that element of just like, yeah, no one, no one is really paying attention to what Kelvin is doing. You know, he doesn't put anything out there. He infamously had four Instagram posts going into Chicago. Like he, no one knew what the heck, was going on with that guy and then he drops the world record you know (laughs) and it seems like the pr team is now like okay let's get some content going but um yeah i don't know if anyone is ever really going to be like i need to follow everything but i think of people like luis orta or you know like people who are still putting out pretty you know consistent videos who are at the elite level um the 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 component of like yeah maybe we'll run into each other in the corral or starting village whereas the elites you're not going to you know yeah for me i started in trail running right and there Mm -hmm. i was inspired by what was happening kind of in the um somewhat bodybuilding world and and some some large youtubers there and what they were doing um and it really didn't exist in trail running at that point um, people weren't doing, this is maybe five years ago, they weren't doing the artistic level of filming and music and editing. And that's kind of where I uh, started in trying to create videos like that. Um, but seeing seeing it grow now, the races are so much bigger than they were then. But as with, with triathlon, you start to see these elites they start a YouTube channel and some of them have the means to have somebody record them, right? But yeah. most pros uh, don't have the uh, energy, the expertise to actually produce what you're producing, right? So they start mm-hmm. out, they get someone filming them, but at some point that person that's filming them, they got to make money too, right? And yeah. <laughs> there's not enough money on YouTube to, to pay two people, you know, you know if, you're, if you're not that big. So you, you get, with 100,000 followers, it's, it's, it's not a career, right? YouTube right. doesn't pay that well. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see people who start YouTube you know, at an elite level and then, it, and then, you know, you see it kind of taper off because it takes a ton of energy to do it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with you, you've got the skills 
and the and the and the knowledge. That's one of the things I was going to ask: is Are you doing much of your editing at this point, or are you having someone do most of the editing? Yeah. So that was the biggest reason I poured so much gas on the fire this year. Um, I had a full time employee. Employee. His name is Shua. He's he's freelance now. So he moved to freelance back in September. Uh, it was like the month before Chicago, but everything I posted from October through September was us collaborating on Mm -hmm. all of that. And so whether I was filming myself and bringing it to the studio, he was laying the bones and 90% of a lot of the edits. So I would come to him and be like, here's the idea for the video. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to structure it. We need to go upstairs and film this talking head, blah, 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 blah. And so I was very much directing, like, this is, this is the title. This is the topic. This is the blah, blah, blah. And then he was just like going in and, and, and doing the dirty work. And then he did an awesome job. Oh, he's an incredible editor. Um, if you have the time or are interested, Shua Films, S-H-U-A. Shua yeah, I looked Films. him up. Yeah, he's, has, he's just got such an interesting voice, um, and I'm excited to see what he does on his own. Um, but he, he really helped me get to a point where like, I could grab it, and then like he's not a runner, so <laughs> there would be times where I'm like, oh, this makes absolutely no sense. And I'd have to be like, lol, you know, whether it's numbers or, you know, repeats or whatever. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, <laughs> just let me, let me go. Um, and so I, it was usually a rhythm where like he would hand me an edit. I would spend two to three hours on polishing it and then we'd get it posted. Um, and since he's left, it's been a lot more challenging to find any kind of rhythm between both channels. Um, and so I do, I do have someone moving to Chicago on February 1st who has worked in the, the triathlon world actually. And so he is coming in as part-time to start just to help uh, get on that rhythm again into the Boston series. Um, but I'm, I'm dedicating a lot more of my personal time to the running stuff right now. And because of that, it takes more time. Like if I'm, I, it's, it's a lot easier for me to disassociate when someone else is editing for me. I'm not as much of a perfectionist, which is helpful for YouTube because if it's at 80% of what my quality is, it's good enough. And as long as that rhythm is going where we're basically posting weekly, it, it is like that explosive growth that's happening. Um, so for yeah, that's the balance, right? Level, yeah. Is is for what you're seeing and even for me, right? How many hours do I need to spend looking for a song for this video? Right. It's like right. <laughs> people don't care that much. Right. <laughs> and you go down the rabbit hole, you're so emotionally connected to what you are feeling during the time and the song matters so much and and you know, people don't they don't have that connection per se. I mean they do, right. but they don't realize that it, how much effort goes into it. But finding that balance of if I just produce one video per week. It's so much more important than me putting so many hours into producing one every two or three weeks, right? That regular rhythm, people will just, they're, they're, they're craving it. They're waiting for it. Right. You know what's so interesting? To me. I would say what's interesting for me no, is I, I see so many parallels between Eric Floberg and Eric Lagerstrom. So on, on the triathlon mm-hmm. side, we have a, a channel, That Triathlon Life. And it's two pros, Eric Lagerstrom, and he he he's a pro, but he also films uh, his wife Paula Finley, um, and then they have another friend that assists them with editing and filmmaking things like that. But he he has such an eye for for cinematography that it's almost becoming more of the passion than the actual sport for him. And I I kind of see that same parallel with you. You're just on the running side 
and but again to, just the quality of of uh of of youtube um films that are coming out or from both sides it just it, it's it's just so good and so like i'm i'm really curious to see where you take it and where you go because i mean he's had some crazy partnerships like the um what is it the the burn series with that he did the promotion with lululemon mm-hmm. it's just yeah. a, mm-hmm. a phenomenal video i think i've gone back and watched that like I don't know, 10, 15 times just cause it's, it's so good. And it's just him mountain biking it through a burned out, um, like forest and it's, it's fucking phenomenal. Um, but just awesome. the, the, the amount of different camera angles. And when you actually start to think about how much work went into this and it's only two people that produced it, it's again, I, I'd, I'd recommend it to you just go check it out. And just from a, a, you know, from a filmmaking point of view and, and curious to get your take on it, but it's really good. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty wild to see what small teams are creating nowadays. Like the, the barrier to entry, it's, it's, it's all, it's all democratizing in a really beautiful way. Like in, in the filmmaking world, in the artistic world, like it's, it's no longer just the elites that can in, in, in the filmmaking and, artistic world that can make things to that caliber and the tools are all essentially the same at this point every brand is essentially the same camera and so the playing field now what's so important is story like that is that is really what is um going to separate people because the quality and you'll see i think i've i've grown a larger following and it's been explosive in the running space because there's a gap in you know, cinematography and, and the high end quality, but you'll see five years from now, like there's going to be, a, there's going to be a lot more of it. Um, because again, the democratization of all of it is going to happen. And, and so then it's like, okay, what kind of, what kind of story are you telling? Uh, is it compelling? Because it was so fascinating to me the, the week before Chicago, I was like, I just want to get a video out. I don't want to have to do a fancy edit because I'm bogged down with race stuff and work stuff. And I don't need to be stressed right now. So I sat in my backyard and I did my race plan video. And I just talked to the camera for like 20 minutes. And that video did like 20,000 views. And I'm like, what on earth is this? Like, I don't, that never would happen on my main channel. But people were so invested in the story and so interested to know what my plan was for the race that they're just like nope watching the whole thing i don't care if it's boring <laughs> and it, you, you know? try to do that all raw and uncut that was the goal right like just yeah, yeah. i'm not cutting this at all i think you cut it once yeah that's uh-huh. that's yeah, yeah you're like okay no effort and this gets great traction <laughs> so. exactly yeah my buddy Jer- jeremy yeah. miller was just like how did that video do so well and i was like dude i don't know like it's people are just invested in the story and so if you and going back to the in-person conversations people are coming up and being like oh that one thing that one very specific thing that you said in that time i'm having trouble being like what video like what video was that and it's so (laughs) impactful to them Mm -hmm. and i'm having to be like oh right 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 that was that one we did before that blah blah okay yeah yeah um you don't know how much of an impact each piece of of content you're putting out there can be to people but people are really really paying attention and it's it's so exciting to me i'm having all these thoughts about what the future of this channel will be and all the stuff i make in the running world and just given the nature of marathons and how people do them until until their 70s i'm just like 
this is the long game. Like I'm excited to be here for a long, long time. And so many people are so interested in being a six star finisher now. And I'm sitting here being like, I want to extend my six stars for as long as I can, because I don't need each marathon major to be a lifetime PR. I don't need that to be the story for each of those. How much more compelling would it be that if I run my hometown race six years in a row going for my lifetime best and then save Berlin or save Tokyo or save these other races for later down the road, where there's a compelling story that's more beautiful in my fifties, you know, like mm-hmm. what would that look like? Will YouTube even be a thing at that? I don't know, but I, I like ideas like that because it's just like, what is the long game in all of this? I know that so many people can have such a short wick on what the, the lifespan of, of a YouTube channel is, but I think of, you know, when I'm in, into my 40s, into my 50s, there's going to be a crowd of people that are motivated by that because they're in that life stage as well, you know. And, right. Which is funny because I think about it all the time. I'm 47 years old and, I'm, and, mm-hmm. and I question it all the time. Like, I'm 47 and I make YouTube videos. How mm-hmm. sad is that? <laughs> it just it's seems just like not, such such a younger thing, right? A younger generation yeah. thing, and and it's like, man, I'm 47 and I make YouTube videos, and uh, but it's funny that, you know, like you say, there are people all along the journey at that same same age, right? And I look at my analytics and I could see, you know, 25, 30, 40, 50. You can see the arc of who's with you. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but it, right? yeah. <laughs> he's the guy I mentioned earlier he's got uh, this to me yeah even well, the, the uh, I don't know what else you wanted to cover Tony but I mean we're, we're kind of talking us about off the call. I, I'm loving this conversation yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well I wanted to talk a little bit about you have started to uh, have a few partnerships and things like that right I mean you're, you're yeah. doing some stuff with Nick which is really cool and, and things like that I'm not sure what else mm-hmm. you wanted to, to jump on because I think we could probably just talk and about all kinds of stuff all day long, Tony. Yeah, you know what's what's cool is just we're able to in the flow of conversation kind of go over all the things that we were going to cover anyway. So it it's yeah. just kind of flowing <laughs> nicely, which I kind of figured was going to happen anyway. Um, but no, like you were you're talking about how certain things resonate, like that sub two forty project uh, or sub two forty two uh, project was mm-hmm. was so cool. And and one thing again that still hits and and got me fired up at, at the end when you're just like and let's do the damn thing. Like, so that, that whole, just that phrase was, was so cool. And it, it stuck with me. And I think even at CIM, when you're like, yo, Tony, you're like, you were on the other side of the course when we first started and you, yeah, yeah. you, you were like, yo, and I was like, yo, let's do the damn thing, Floberg. Right. Like I was just like uh-huh. fired up at it and it was, it was cool. So yeah, yeah. yeah those little, those little things just, they just stick with you. So, um, do you and want, it, do you want to yeah, kind of yeah, go over that project? I mean, that specifically. I go, I get so excited about hearing that stuff. Like when it's that fired me right back up, I was just like, Whoa, because that wasn't even the phrase I came up with. That was John who yelled that at me at mile 24 in Chicago. Like, you know, like it's just, it's crazy. I don't like, I, I came, I said, I said it in that video to fire it up, but like the, the, the reciprocation of so many people coming back and saying these phrases to like get the feedback loop going is I, I'd so hard to explain like how that makes you feel emotionally. And that's like in a very real tangible way, what the community is. People talk about community all the time online with this community event. I'm like, it's moments like that where I'm like, that's real. Like that's a very real feeling 
that like you care enough to remember that phrase, say it back to me, you know, like, so yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to say that, but as far as the two, the 242 series, it was, it was horrifying. I think what you might be remembering, Tony, is I was revisiting my live stream with Kofuzi back in the spring and because I wanted to put it in my year end recap video and you were in the comment section there. So that might've been the tie that you were thinking of like us having a connection in the spring. But I remember being on that call with him and just, and saying like, yeah, my goal is 242 for the fall. And even, even Mike was like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's horrifying. Like I I have no idea if that's possible for me. And throughout like a lot of summer training, I was like, I think it's under, I think it's 240. Like I think it's, and so to experience that evolution over a summer, having done, you know, two to three years of work as a foundation was the wildest experience. And, uh, there, I had my buddy Omar film me at the track night that happened over the summer where I ran the 5,000 meter in 1633. And I remember leaving the field and chatting with him. And I, I just kept saying like, I can't believe that just happened. Like, I don't, I, I can't believe this right now. And he's like, I know, man, I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on. And, uh, quickly after that ran the half marathon in September. And it was the same exact feelings. It was like, I, my goal pace for that race was 550 a mile and we were dropping five, 545, 542, 540. And I'm like, we're getting into mile seven, eight, nine of the race. And I'm like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to like go way under the goal. And so the last few miles were rough, but I crossed that finish line. And I was just like, what is happening right now? And so to be able to, to have all of those feelings and then communicate them through these videos has been like one of the, most fulfilling artistic things for me. I remember making that half marathon video. And again, to your point, Chris, like the music choices, again, unfair advantage, like music bed is a partner and a sponsor on the other side of my business. I'm well aware of how to use and utilize music. And they just added Guster to the list. And I use a Guster song at the end. And I'm just like all oh, the nostalgia and just like, and I'm a narcissist. I wondered who I'll, you I'll used. watch those videos. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered who you used because obviously you're using music, but I didn't know who you used because I recognized, right? I use Artlist and there aren't yeah. any major, major artists on there, right? And, yeah. um, you know, I've gone from Epidemic Sound to Artlist and Artlist had a little more vocals and a little, you know, and um, yeah, then you had Guster on there and I, I'm a huge Guster fan, all right? So mm. it was like, oh my God. Um, so to hear the... Uh, um, who you use is interesting to me, but yeah, the music, it, it does hold a huge connection, but I think it, you know, for me as a creator, it holds so much more connection, right? Like the words really matter in the song. And I swear you search through songs and you're trying to make running songs and every song is a love song. And it's like, it's not a love song. I need something different. Right. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like, I need different lyrics. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's so emotional. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's another component of like race videos and uh, training videos. Where people respond with, um, they're like this 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 encapsulates the feelings of what it feels like to train like this or to race like this or the absence of music because it was so intense in the beginning and now it's quiet and you're just feeling like the monotony of the rhythm of the footsteps and the breathing and all that. Um, there's so much to play with 
Uh, and that's going back to the the filmmaking component as a medium to connect with people. Uh, it's it's incredibly profound what you can do on an artistic level to appeal to people's emotions in this space. Going back to the beginning conversation of how how deeply we think about these things when we're out there for hours having time to think about it. Yeah, yeah. People always ask me, do you, you do you run with music? And it's like, nope, I don't. Right. You know, mm -hmm. those hours are used for thinking about, you know, creativity and, and training plans and, and yeah, things with the kids. And, you know, I don't I don't use music at all during that time um, unless I'm on a treadmill, maybe. Right. And then it's usually YouTube yeah. videos is what I use. But <laughs> if I'm outside, I never use music. Right? Those, those are the times to think. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Can, can we go a little bit over your your CIM race? Kind of like what was your plan going into that, and and kind of how it all unfolded. Yeah, I so obviously Chicago was such a peak race. I felt so primed and ready. Uh, you know, the shakeout run before Chicago, people were asking me, "How do you feel?" And my response was just like, "I feel like a, a bull in a pen. Like I'm just." I know I'm going to run a PR. It's just how much of a PR is it going to be? And I felt like just so ready to run that race. And you could obviously tell at the beginning of that video, I was just like psyched out of my mind to start <laughs> that race. And it, it was an entirely different feeling at CIM because the build was nothing like Chicago. I was struggling the whole two months to try to get volume back up because I was having to pick up the pieces of so much of what I left kind of behind in the other part of my career. And then we ended up shooting that feature film for two whole weeks in that time. And I mean, those were long days and like to get runs in on, you know, 12 hour days on set, it was incredibly hard and made me realize like, Oh wow. If I, if I want to do any more feature films, like in the narrative space, like I don't, I don't know if I can train through that. It would have to be so dialed and so prepared and, so ahead of schedule and planned and and so that that component was really really difficult um having to deliver client edits and just get all that done uh only allowed me to get up to between 30 and 50 miles a week uh so i i just didn't get back up to the volume i wanted but on some of the long runs i was still i was still posting numbers and and running workouts very similar to kind of august september numbers so i was like Hey, let's let's go for it. Let's see what happens. And like show up, blow up. If that happens, it happens. And you know, there's the component of Nick running that race too. And that was the first time we were able to meet in person. And um, very closely after I signed with BPN, and I'm like, oh, it'd be fun to be competitive with him and just like go for it. And, I mean, he has the freaking race of his life and. I mean, he ran it so consistent. It was insane um, because our times were nearly identical to Chicago. So it was, it was different. I went way more aggressive in my Chicago race and he just went like completely steady. Um, but it was, it was hard to like know that he was just like hunting me down the whole race. Cause I like <laughs> felt his presence behind me. And then like the whole middle part of the race, we were just like, he was right behind me. We were side by side. He was right in front of me we were just around each other and like the BPN media guys were like off on the bike to the side. So it was just like, keep up, you know, and I could feel myself fading. But at the beginning of, of the race, I had a clip that I didn't really include anywhere. 
I was like, this is so, it's so much more calm right now. I'm just, and I was just having a good time. Like I was just enjoying the environment, running into all these friends, people saying the phrases at me, you know, like in the corral, all that stuff. And I turned and looked back and I mean, Nick is just in the crowd, just like, like just staring into the distance. And I'm like, holy shit, like he's, he's about to unload. Um, and and I'm just like, there was a really funny point. It was like mile 14 or something where like the guys came up and I was just like, I was like, oh, what's up guys? I'm like, where's Nick? And I turned around. He was like five feet behind me. And this is where it started to get strung out. So I was like, oh, it like almost scared me. I was like, how do you feel? He's like, I'm good. I feel strong. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and then like, I'm just being a goofball, you know, like I'm being myself. There's like a dude on some sort of like xylophone over here playing like eye of the tiger. And I'm like laughing at him. And, and the dichotomy was just really funny. And it, it was like very clear that I wasn't as, as focused as I was in Chicago. Like I had, I had no intention to like smash my PR or anything like that, but it was more so just like, how close can I get to it and just have a good time? And so I, you know, I was, I was putting up six or five, six or six pace uh, for a mile all the way through 17 or 18. And then all of the Hills and that, that front half just destroyed me and, it was honestly from 18 to the finish was one of the toughest mental battles I've ever had in running. It was, it was incredibly lonely. I had like no one to go with. It got really strung out. It got pretty warm. And I was like, I almost gave up a dozen times. Um, but that's, what's really interesting about having the, you know, the YouTube channel as well. It's just like, it is motivation in one sense where you're like, there's a lot of people watching you right now. Like, <laughs> what kind of message do you want to communicate? Honestly, right. I'm, I'm cause I'm like, sure. I could give up and nothing is going to like, I don't think any of my racing is ever going to be dictated by like, what is this going to be for the video? At that point I wasn't even filming. I like couldn't even, I was so exhausted. Um, but it, there are moments where I'm just like, what can you prove to people that in a, you know, in a tough situation, can you stick it out and grind through it? I'm like, all right, well, let's see if I can be about it, you know, and push myself to my limits. And it's really helpful because I, I said it in the breakdown video. When I ran New York last year, I got demolished. I ended up running like a 337, was walking by half. There was one comment that stuck with me. It was just like, why don't you just slow your pace and don't walk? And I'm like, it's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Like whenever I walk in marathons, there's like no hope at all anymore. Like it's done. Like I'm, I've given up all hope. I don't care about the time. It's just like walk, run to the finish, whatever. And so I knew that at this race, I was like, if, if you walk, it's like over, over, like you're going to probably be over three hours and like, it's just not even going to be anywhere close. And so more than anything, I wanted to prove to myself, like, no, you can, dial back the effort, keep going. And so in that sense, like running a 246 felt like a huge accomplishment. Um, didn't feel great, you know, crossing the line that, but then zooming out, it's just like the second fastest marathon I've ever run. It's two minutes faster than my peak race in the spring. It's just like, that's good. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah. It, it's interesting too. Again, like the, the parallels with, with Ironman, like Ironman pros, will stick it out even when they're having a bad race very rarely do they pull out unless it's mm -hmm. injury or a crash you never see a pro 
runner run a three hour marathon, right? You never see them blow up, right. stay on course and finish and, and just stick it out. And they all pull out. Right. And, and so again, that, I think it's that, that connection, that parallel that we stick it out no matter what. So, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's cool to see. I'm, I'm actually bummed because what you ended up running, I wanted to run 245. And so I, if I was on, if I was having a good day, I felt like I could have ran up on you and that would have been cool to, to come through. Well, no, I, I think at that point, just, just finish together. We would have come, come through right around the same yeah, place. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. that would have been cool, but I fell apart too. So, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but to that comment, that is really funny to be, uh, you know, in a race, like a, a half Ironman, I was in Arizona and I'm running and somebody comes by me and they're like, Hey CJ. And they go by me and I'm just like, Oh, Man, there's something about someone just like blowing by you as you're running and they watch your videos. And uh, it's just like, ah, all right, turn it up, catch back up to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm the one who's supposed to be inspiring. He just blew me. He just blew by me. <laughs> well, I forget. I forget this guy's name. I, I met him right after the race, but that happened to me at mile 25 at CIM. Um, and, you know, like you're in the darkest part of your life, you know, fighting for your life. And they're like giving you a fist bump and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, but he was like on Instagram later, his, his post, his race recap. He's like, I, he's like, no shade to you, Floberg. I'm going to be honest. That was an unbelievably like amazing feeling to pass you in the final (laughs) of the the race because he was having the race of his life and he was accelerating and he was like it was all the motivation i needed going into the last mile i was like wow i just overtook him and i'm like hey man great for you that's awesome yeah yeah (laughs) i motivated you in a different way yeah (laughs) yeah i'm like kudos to you man that is that's actually awesome that that was a motivating factor for you um, cause I know that feeling too. Like I, I, I know what it feels like to pass someone, you know, in a race and that being a little bit more incentive for yourself to keep going, you know, that competitive nature. But at the end of the day, like if, if that causes you to be butthurt, that's a problem. Like if I was 100%. coming off of that and being like, I can't believe that. I'm so pissed. Like that's silly, you know, right. but I think that's what's so fun about the sport too, is like, I can celebrate him and just be like, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah. You know, I it's fine. Like I'm not, I'm not hurt by it. And, and speaking of races of your life, can we give Clark some love here for CIM? Holy shit. Where did he come from? And, uh, and, and you, you guys started together at what point did it separate and you knew he was just going to, going to go. Well, yeah, he, I mean, I knew from the beginning that he was going to run faster than me at CIM because it it was really back in September when I knew that was going to be the case because I filmed his half marathon about a month out from Chicago. And so I, I met Clark through Instagram last year, Chicago, he ran a sub 250 and I saw he was like being coached by Jeff Cunningham and, you know, he's like wearing his tracksmith kit and all this stuff and he's like vibing out and I'm seeing his progression in the marathon. I'm seeing a lot of similarities to myself and I'm like, you know, I don't remember exactly how we connected, but we DM'd and and I'm like, well, if you're local, like we should connect. And and so he paced me through a 5k over the summer. Um, We ran right around 17 minutes that day. He ran uh, a sub 16.30. I ran my 16.33. And so I felt like I was like gaining on him a little bit and getting closer and closer. And I dropped my one 15.57 half in September. And then he goes to the um, 
when was it? It was it was right after that, maybe a week or two after he dropped like a one fourteen low, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and <laughs> and he demolished that race. He ended up getting like sixth place or something, uh, like a pretty big half marathon in Chicago, and I was just on the bike with him the entire race. But I, I, again, I love that relationship where like that whole video I made where it was like, I, I used the phrase comparison is the thief of joy, which I agree with in one sense. But when it's comparison in this way, when it's someone like, you know, and trust and love and you're friends with, the comparison is awesome because it just pushes you. And we've been texting like back and forth like crazy pre-race, post-race CIM. There's all this stuff happening for him. And rightfully so. The guy is an absolute monster. His... His consistency is just like unparalleled. I feel like him and Nick both are like the only people I see online where it's like every single day, every single time is the same. Like they go out at this time, they do the thing every day. And I'm so not disciplined in that facet. Like I'll get it done, but it's like, it's morning, it's afternoon, it's evening, it's blah, blah, blah. Um, and so like I knew we had the chance of being somewhat competitive at that point, but I didn't have the build up I needed to to do that. So we started the first mile together, but then he just clung on to the women's OTQ group and just went with them the whole race. And I knew he was gonna do something like that because he's Clark, you know. Uh he just like he's so humble and and like he won't he won't promise anything and then he'll just like blow up everybody's expectations out of the water and then Post race, he's just like, yeah, it's great, it's great, it's really good. And you're like, what? <laughs> and I know he's so fired up, but the way he expresses it, he's like, yeah, it was a fun day, it was great, it was really good. Um, uh, but the bond that we've like we've gained over, you know, even just the past four months has been been insane. Um, so so elated the 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 hug that we had at that finish line. Like I knew he was waiting for me to come across so that we could have that moment and. He dropped under 237, you know, ran 236, 50-something. And um, I, we're uh, – so I'm looking to get coached by Jeff. I don't know if it will happen or, or, or what, but if it does, then Clark and I are essentially going to be on the same exact plan for Boston. So that's going to, I That'd think, cool. make the series really, really cool because we'll be training together quite a bit, and then we'll be racing it. And we both we both want to go under 235, so um, – it's going to be really fascinating. So that's that moment where I'm like, maybe I'll be fit enough to be really competitive with him in Boston. But I know that he has that fire in him and that dog in him where if we're neck and neck at 24, he's going to like really put his foot on my neck and I'm going to have to answer. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm excited for that moment because like, even if that means he runs faster than me, it's going to push me to something faster than I would have without him, you know? For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm really stoked for it. Yeah. Now your connection, I'm curious now that you mentioned, um, you know, his coach and, and things like that and CIM and, and signing with BPN and, um, what was that, uh, journey or connection? Like, um, were you, did you meet Nick or did you meet, um, through Clark, his coach or, you know, how did you kind of create that relationship with BPN now? Yeah. All the, all the worlds are kind of connected. It's super interesting because, um, you know, Nick moved to Nashville and we'd obviously been filming Joe for two years and Joe lives uh, in Franklin, just south of Nashville. And uh, I don't know when it was, it was sometime over the summer, Joe was just like, yo, the other day I was running through downtown Franklin and there's nobody, I mean, it was like, it was 6 a.m. 
my AirPods are about to die. I might have to switch headphones. Um, he he's like, there's nobody out, and like Nick Nick Bear is just running shirtless in the square, and I'm like, Joe's like, is that Nick Bear? And he comes up, and Joe, being Joe, he comes up to me, he's just like, Nick Bear, and he's like, whoa, what's up? They knew each other, so he's like, what are you what are you doing here? And so he shared with us that they were thinking about moving to Nashville. So that like that was the first kind of connection um into that world but was really unrelated to how i signed uh with vpn um i a few of the the creative uh members of vpn the creative team started following me and you know i started commenting dming all that stuff and so i got to know a rod online a little bit um he is uh, on the design team and, you know, he's come up with like the bubbly letter go on more stuff. And he's just insanely talented on a design front. And uh, weirdly enough, that meetup I mentioned earlier back in March of this year was uh, a photo filmmaking meetup. And Steven Southall, who's on the BPN media team now, met me there and was the first person in real life to tell me that he followed both of my channels. And I was like, that was really wild to hear from somebody at that point. And, uh, and then a couple months after he joined the BPN media team. And so I knew him. And so there's a couple, so they were both at the booth at Chicago. And so I didn't realize there was going to be a BPN booth. And I was like, Oh, this is sick. And so, um, you know, said, hi, dapped up, uh, A-Rod. And as I was leaving the table, like he tapped me on the shoulder and he's like, Hey, for the road. And like gave me a tub of G1M sport and some of the go gels. And I was like, Oh, thank you. Like that's <laughs> super sweet. <laughs> Um, and so like, I'm in the, the parking lot, like trying to go gel and just being like, Oh snap, this is great. And, um, and so I, I don't, I think even up to that point, I was like, I don't, I, I had seen that the go gel was happening, but then that was really the moment where I was like, well, they're really transitioning into endurance. Like they're for real. Like they're at the Chicago expo. They're, they have gels, like real solid gels now. And so it was just kind of. I was like, oh, cool. Like maybe they just want me to be an affiliate or something, whatever. And so then I don't remember exactly how it happened, but it just kept like, I kept like getting introduced to new people, people following me on Instagram. And then I got an email um, from Hope on the team that was just like, hey, we'd really be interested in seeing if you'd, you'd be interested in a partnership together. I had no idea what what that meant and didn't realize like, how big of a deal it was. And so immediately was just feeling super flattered and like, not in a sense of, you know, this is emotionally for me. It's been like, well, you're, Hey Eric, you're not an elite runner. Like just like, let's, let's be real here. <laughs> you know, even sub elite, not really. Um, but this, this weird, cool intersection of a competitive runner who's, who's still like getting into an a corral at a marathon, but really the filmmaking stuff that's like coming full circle and, I mean, the BPN creative team is incredible. Like the stuff they're making and putting out is just like, it's mind blowing. The design, like the hat I'm wearing right now and Ethan and, and the stuff they're making on the merch side is so cool. And so it's this weird intersection of like, I'm meeting people on the creative team and they're like, yeah, I've followed, I've followed your work for years, but now you're in the running space. And it's just like, for them, they're like, it's blowing my mind, like seeing you in this world now. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty strange, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a no brainer, um, when they offered me the contract and, you know, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to see like what, what we can make together. Like what's so cool now, like on, on point, Steven and I are doing 
a VPN shoot with me today. And so now they don't even have to like fly media out to me to shoot stuff because we have everything in house here already. So yeah, I'm just going to go to track, track with Steven tonight to shoot some stuff. And, you know, once I have an employee again and all that, like we see it and the team is like, we see a future that's like a really cool creative partnership. And so, yeah, when, you know, Nick followed me on Instagram and that whole thing started going down, it, it felt very, very wild, especially because like Steven's been following Nick and weightlifting stuff for longer than I've even been following Nick. So for him, he's just like, this is absolutely insane like I, I and we keep just every day being like i don't know what's going on but let's just keep riding the way <laughs> that's awesome uh, yeah it's i was waiting earlier when you were talking about oh you know during marathons after marathons i throw up i was waiting for the plug to be like but not now with bpn go jail yeah. it's like <laughs> flowbird runs 10 percent off you're never allowed to say you threw up again yeah i know <laughs> i was like pre-cim i was like what if that happens my first my first race is a sponsored athlete and i'm just throwing up everywhere <laughs> yeah no saying i put the go gel in my mouth and immediately i threw up <laughs> in are your you, contract and, that uh right <laughs> and you're using are you using pretty much all their products g1m sport go gel mm-hmm. yeah for chicago i was i was doing a mix of morton and element um but yeah, G1M is, I've really loved the salt, salted watermelon and it's like a very comparable mix, you know, between carbs and electrolytes. And I'm, I'm, I love the current go gel, the apple cinnamon. It's like a replacement essentially for what I was doing in spring energy with, with yeah. some sauce. Yeah. And, and so I'm excited for more flavors and potentially caffeinated stuff as well. And putting that all in the mix because gels have obviously been such a pain point for me throughout the years. And it's, I mean, there's a reason why I signed with VPN. The fact that like I tried that gel for the first time and was like, okay, like this is, this is actually phenomenal. Um, got me super, super excited. And, like I'm never going to do a partnership where it's something I don't believe in. Like I've, I've, I did nothing but turn things down until that point on the running side. I just, email after email, just like not a good fit, not a good fit, not a good. And, um, really just the consistency of it. It's like, it's nothing like a Morton. It's not like I can, you can chew it. It's very like syrupy almost, which is for me really good. Um, and even like awesome sauce, it's like got chunks in it too. A little bit of um, fiber. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just so excited. And, you know, just hearing what the team is talking about, how they're going to push so much into the endurance space moving forward and keep like, put, and they're coming out with new products. Like that's what we're shooting today. And it's just like thing after thing. Where I'm like, wow, this is really exciting to be with a, with a business that's like just making everything that I would need um, and not having to piecemeal it from all these different places. It is truly for me on a, a, a personal level, like, something I just don't have to think about as much anymore. And it opens up more time and energy to other things, which is really cool. So. Yeah. And then awesome. I'm assuming you've tried their protein powders because I see the weight room you're building and everything. You, you're going to get jacked yeah, right? now or what's going <laughs> no. on there? <laughs> Everyone's like, whoa, is you going to be hybrid now? I'm like, that's no, right. I, I have no intention. I have no intention of, of being jacked. I have every intention to be Ken Rideout. Like that's who oh, I want to yeah. be. Oh yeah. Um, like I look at, I honestly look at his body type at 52 and I'm like, I want to be toned, 
I want to be strong and I want to be fast and I don't want to be huge, but I want to be 50 and running a sub 230. Like that's yeah. like, honestly, I look at him. I'm just like, that is the goal. And it was either him on Nick or him on Rich Roll recently where he's like, the functional, this is where I do my kind of ride out impression. The functional stuff that I'm going through right now, like on the, the functional bodybuilding level is, you know, strength. No, I don't need to keep doing it. It's really good <laughs> though. It's really good. He might, he my kids in combat sport now and i'm like oh god this is so great uh he uh he's like i want to get in the gym to actually be strong and use it on a functional level that spoke to me and we went on thanksgiving we went to my in-laws and they have a home gym and i was like done this Mm. is it this is going to motivate me to actually do it it's going to motivate my friends to come over and us to work out together keep each other accountable to it I've never done strength and conditioning and marathon preps. And I feel so foolish sitting on the other side of this and listening to Joe's episode on Nick, Nick's podcast, where he's just like, dude, you have to be in the gym. I'm like, I'm the same. I, I need, I need to be. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what it does for me um, to get me stronger, to keep me away from injuries and just like how different of a runner I'll be come April with it. Yeah, definitely document yeah. that. Cause have you yeah, spent cool any time? Yeah. Have you spent any time in the weight room previously? Only in high school. Like okay. I, in football by sophomore year, I was, I was putting up decent numbers for my size. Okay. Um, so like, I know that it's, it's there, but I haven't done it in any meaningful way since then. So yeah, that'd be, that'd be really yeah. cool to see. Yeah. Can we go over some of your, uh, gear choices? Like what do you race in? What do you prefer? things that you like yeah um i mean i like like, yeah i like cool looking things i'm just gonna go ahead and say that like don't we all right i i think a lot of the the running world can have a predisposition to like neon colors and so me being you know if you like look at my studio like we're we're very (laughs) <laughs> monochromatic in the white tan black green kind of and you can see that in a lot of the stuff that i like i like to wear as i well. like that orange background though you had in there in your one of your videos oh, yeah. that's yeah, a sweet background an orange wall and a green wall um yeah it's really fun to like build out these spaces visually watching but, your videos and then my my house is very white and then i yeah. go to shoot a video i'm like damn it, I need a green wall or something. <laughs> His videos always look cool with green walls and everything in my house is white and gray. I got no color. <laughs> yeah. Having the, the pops of color like really helped. And that's something I've, I've come to notice is like all of those small intangible things can really make an impact visually. And so whether you like it or not, that could happen in um, you know what you wear as well. I've never been someone that's like so obsessive about like, looking cool looking great but i do i do like indulging every once in a while so whether it be you know tracksmith singlet i'm not as as inclined to their half tights i love the the rabbit speedster half tights that kofuzi always recommends because of the three pockets two on the side one in the back um i've had two that have some holes in them on the sides at this point but i got them like two years ago so they've held up really well um i really enjoy the bandit half tights i got my hands on a pair they're always sold out of those are sweet which i got a pair hard. recently i love them my favorite to race and in it, like 
I love it, but I can't like, I can't really put my phone in the side pocket. It like, it swings too much. I tried to do it in Chicago and it was like too heavy. So I had to like pass off my phone to Cyrus who's filming. And, but otherwise, like I do wish I could get their version. I don't know. They have like a, a double pocket one, I think. Um, which is what I thought I was buying. That's the one I have. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I would want. But the material, the material is so soft, but I think you're right because I think you almost have to buy a size smaller in order to maybe make them tighter to hold the phone because they fit great. They feel great. But yeah, the material is a little too flexible or too elastic, I guess, you know, so it swings a little bit. But it's fantastic. Like, I love oh the way those half tights feel. <laughs> I don't run in, like, anything other than half tights now. I hate putting split shorts on now. Um, just for function, honestly. I, if, you know, I'm, I always need to get my Strava video, which I'm always, like, collecting a library of the same exact position every time I run, whether it be out here or on the treadmill. And it's really fun for compilations where it's, like, just the same shot over days. Um but having a spot for the phone and I, I'm, I used to not run with AirPods, but I do it pretty much exclusively now. So having a podcast or music, um, and obviously just function with carrying gels. Uh, but the, their, uh, singlet, I'm obsessed with that. The bandit singlet I've raced in that all, all fall. And it was amazing. The summer, super lightweight with the cutout in the back between the shoulder blades. Um, I haven't really, I haven't really branched into any other brands with with gear. Um, I, I did buy. Sent me stuff. Oh, I, CLA, yeah. Okay. I, I tried because I've been trying different hats, and I the, yeah. the there's a Boko and uh, head sweats and all that. And then you were having your videos. I was talking to these guys about it recently, so I went on and I, I bought a couple to to try. And I was like, and I bought these just because you were wearing them in the video. I'm like, all right, I got to try that brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, like, I love CLA hats, so I'm like, I don't need to get anything else. I love their colorways, and you know, they sent me a few, so I'm like, done. Okay, I don't need more hats. My wife will kill me if I get more hats. <laughs> Anytime PPN sends me a new one, she's just like, oh my god. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's about it on on the brand front as as far as stuff that I wear on day to day. I'm not really particular about like a florist did send me a bunch of stuff from path which i've loved um for winter running um with pants and underwear and he's got um, a hoodie with a a wash cut out and i love the hood on that thing because it stays up it doesn't fall off it because it has the cutout that's like right here and that's been phenomenal on like the 40 40 degree days that's a question i was going to ask yeah how much as it gets colder and colder now that I'm in Vermont and I'm, I'm running outdoors, you know, I do that yeah. only at Christmas in California. If it gets close to 40, it's like, hell no, I'm not running outside. But for some reason when yeah. I come to Vermont, I'm like, I'm going to run outside when it's cold. Uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> do you start to switch to doing more treadmill training as it gets, I mean, obviously if there's snow everywhere and ice everywhere, but um, yeah. will you just, because it's getting colder, do more indoor training? Yeah, and that's I'm putting a treadmill in the home gym as well for that reason this winter, um, because yeah, this week, this past week has been a testament of like I will I will hit the snooze if I know it's 30 degrees out, and I'll be like ah I know I'll I'll have more motivation to put this many miles in later in the day, and then it messes up my day, and I still have to do it, and then everything's chaos. Um, 
so I know that having, because I have a gym membership right now, but even just the, you know, the two mile drive to get there and the getting up to the, you know, it's like the extra 20 minutes it takes to get there and come back. I'm like, those are really precious 20 minutes, honestly, before the kids are awake. So anything to cut down on that time, give me a little bit more time to sleep and then just access to the garage. Even the fact that like my family could just open the door and be like, Hey, you almost done, you know, and you just have direct access to me or my wife could be like, can you be done? And I'll be like, yeah, I'm done. Um, is, is going to be so much better than me missing a text. Like I did on the treadmill last night. And like, you forgot that basketball practice is tonight. And I'm like, stopping the workout a mile short and like running to the, to get changed. Um, it's going to be very different. So yeah, I'm sure there's a crowd that's like, Oh, you're not tough enough. You can't brave the weather and be prepared enough and set all the clothes out and everything. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff. Like I agree with that mentality. If you are going to do that, do all the very, do all the things you need to Mm do set up all the clothes. That's the only way I'm going to get outside in the cold. If I, if I'm going to, it's like set out the whole outfit, get it ready to go, set the alarm, be committed to it, put the phone in the other room. Like, it's a whole method. Um, but I know that if on those mornings where I'm really struggling, uh, to get out of the bed, to know that the treadmill is just like 30 feet that way, it's going to be a lot easier to get going. Even if that means like, all right, I'm just going to stand on it and walk for a mile to just get circulation going, you know? Well, sometimes that's what I'll do. I'll use the treadmill to warm up a little bit before I go out and brave the cold, right? You know, once you raise your temperature, it's so much easier to go out than starting cold in the cold. Yep. So Mm -hmm. I'll be looking forward to see what you do creatively with filming the treadmill, making that fun. That's going to be really cool. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the, uh, the gear front. Um, funny story. So for Chicago, that was going to be my first race racing an event that didn't have Morton on course. I was so used to racing Ironman and we had the luxury of they're sponsored Uh, by Morton and Boston has Morton on course. And so I'm thinking like, shit, I need to hold five gels. And I usually just used to race in my tri shorts all the time. So I was like, (laughs) I can't fit five gels in my tri shorts. What am I going to do? And so before I left, I bought the, the rabbit speedster tights and, uh, they were a little, thick i felt warm like they're heavy and um so i knew bandit was having a pop-up so before the kafuzi shakeout i went straight to bandit and i grabbed the last super beam seven half tight and so i tried i tried them on in their dressing room and right when i put them on i was like oh shit i'm racing in these like no question these are amazing I mean, yeah. and for a triathlete like they essentially feel like tri shorts without the pad which is perfect and then of course this you know the seven pockets and i was like i am set sold done and uh so that's why i'm embracing it and i haven't taken them off since <laughs> so that's just what i've been running in Wearing them right now. yeah here's all my money <laughs> yeah I, I again i wish they weren't sold out all the time um i did pick up yeah. a pair of the olive color that just came out for their winter collection which were those look sick um i would like mm-hmm. a red pair if they came out back out with like the, the old one that sold out. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm kind of living and racing in right now. I'm, I'm not going back. Yep. And then did you go over shoes? What, what do you, what are you racing function. in? Oh yeah. Shoes. Um, I've, I've just been on the Saucony and Dorf pro three for, for races since last fall. So I, I raced the first New York in 21 in Vaporfly twos. 
too narrow for me. Um, I like a wider toe box in the front. Um, I need to figure out sizing. I, I'm, my shoes are too big. I always have dead toenails at the end of races. So I definitely felt like the vapor flies are, are more narrow than the alpha flies, I think. Um, yeah. I had to size up, right? I went to another half size bigger. Like in the endorphins, I would wear 12, but in the in the um, alphas, I went to 12 and a half. And that made all the difference mm. in the world. Just that little bit, you know, it gives you a gotcha. little more width. Well, yeah. so, so are you curious yeah, to try so I, the, the new Alpha Fly 3 then with those being wider now in the front and everybody raving about them? I am. Yeah, I am interested in it. I'm also interested in checking out the Endorphin Elites as well. Um, I love the white and gold colorway one. I think that's a really good looking shoe. I honestly just functionally very interested because I think from, from everything I've heard between people who have used the Pro 3 and the Elites, that they like the Elites more. And so... Yeah, I mean, at this point, since An has been sending me a bunch of shoes, which has been incredibly generous and awesome, and I've loved training in um, in the Monsters and the Surfers, but I'm so that almost that frees up more budget to like try some racing shoes next year for me. So I'm I'd be interested to test a few different ones in this training block. And then, you know, it doesn't hurt to, to chat about that on videos. So, you know, like, you know, we can get a little click Betty sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guy, we're almost at the, the two hour mark. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his, headphones, his headphones have got to be barely hanging on at this point. Dude, it's got to be like 3%. <laughs> yeah. <on the> <laughs> so yes. we usually go through uh, some real quick questions here. Um, you're a little young, so this may not hit the same and I didn't put them in your sheet so you couldn't research it. So, um, first one is pineapple on pizza. How do you feel? No, no. Awesome. All right. So one for one here. The second one, Knight Rider or Airwolf? Oh yeah. Yeah. Too young. There you go. That was that, that, that's what I figured. Is, is that the talking car thing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Night Rider's talking. God, we're car. old, Tony. Yeah, I know. Damn, we're old. Yeah. Well, and he didn't even know who yeah. Airwolf was. No. Which is which is worse because Tony and I, it's all about Airwolf. Yeah. Airwolf was the greatest show. All I can think is like Airbud mixed with Teen Wolf. That's all I can do. <laughs> Airwolf was a killer helicopter. Uh, okay. black helicopter that parked in like a volcano oh this is awesome you know what for you guys airwolf there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just waiting for him to be like i've never ran in those shoes i, I don't yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny when we do this now now that uh tony uh you got me on the new toss show Oh my God. When, whenever he asks oh. his guests, do you believe in ghosts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, I'm addicted to Tosh show now. Uh, I just got the notification <laughs> that the latest one is out. So yeah. Uh, yes. The, the dog, the dog one. No, that or was is there a new one since the dog whisperer. Yeah. The dog whisperer was last week. He releases every Tuesday. So oh. it's Tuesday. All right. Yeah. Oh, it's Tuesday. There you go. <laughs> I need to get on that. <laughs> you uh, you it's, do. It's good. Yeah. Well, thanks, Eric, man. Appreciate it very much for you taking the time. Of course. That was a really fun conversation. Yeah. we could have. And, and so what is next? What's your next race? Uh, it, it, there'll be tune-up races. I haven't signed up for any yet, but I want to get a half in before Boston for sure. If I could get that, that mid-March, about a month out from Boston, that would be ideal. 
Um, I feel like that for me this year, that was a massive psychological boost for me going into Chicago, like being able to race that fast and like putting in an all, all out effort about a month out and, and the half. I love that distance. Um, it's a super fun um, distance to run. And so I'll do that. I might throw in a 5K or a 10K race, like a, a winter one. Um, but that would probably just be more for fun because it's going to be hella freezing in Chicago at that point. So, but yeah, I, it'll all be on the channel for sure. If I race anything, it'll be on the channel. Sweet. Looking yeah. forward to it. Sweet too. All right, boys. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks it. for coming on. Yeah, and I really I'll enjoyed it. I'll try and get this out before spring. I'll try to get the yeah. episode out before spring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I do all the editing. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Yeah. And then we'll be we, out before this evening. We, we got to have you back on after after Boston and uh, and see how that yeah, works out and then, and then go from there. I'm horrified of that course. <laughs> try to try to run on the two hills that are in Chicago while I, while I train for yeah. it. <laughs> Nice. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much, Eric. Talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the OC Endurance Podcast. If you have any comments or questions for us, please send us an email at podcast at ocendurance.com or send us a message on Instagram at ocendurancepodcast and be sure to give us a follow. Tell us what you want to hear about next or who you want to hear from next. Don't forget to leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whichever platform you're listening on. We would greatly appreciate it.